All right, good evening, everybody. You guys are all happy. I'm glad. That's good. Uh, tonight, we're going to be Matthew 15. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 15. That's what I studied anyway, so that's what we're, that's what we're going to go over. And let's start off with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to spend time in it tonight. Thank you for the kids getting taught and their little worship time and the teachers that have prepared a lesson for them. We pray that they'd have a wonderful time in your word and, and that it would stick and get in their hearts. Same, same for us, Lord. Help us to understand your heart and see how you change. Uh, and maybe that's the wrong word, God, but how you magnified your word to the people when you were on earth. Um, you showed them what you meant, what it was written for, and not what they had made it into. And so, God, show us every area of our life where we have made your word into something other than it's not. In Jesus' name, amen. As Jesus draws closer to the cross, he runs into the Pharisees and Sadducees more often. And at first, it's a somewhat confrontational, but he begins to get more bold um, with them. Um, we know eventually that his boldness, his love for the sheep, the people, and his... Uh, his bravery, uh, for lack of a better word, towards the religious rulers. I mean, he is God. I don't know why. He, I don't know if he'd have to be brave at all. But that's the best word I could come up with. As he speaks with the religious rulers, he's not afraid to call them out for what they have done uh, to what he had set up. They had changed things. They had, they had morphed or uh, transitioned from what God intended to what they thought, and they had made Judaism into something that was made with men's hands. It was almost, almost um, idolatry at that point. And so he's going he's gonna to talk to them about that here in chapter 15. Um, of course, the scribes and the Pharisees have a problem with this ministry, and that's what they do. They're critics. Um, they don't have the same heart. They don't have the same father. So you have to know where they're coming from. They're coming from people or coming from a place of, in their heart where they haven't had a close relationship with God for a very long time, if ever. Um, but they're under the assumption that they are. That's a very dangerous place to be. It's almost better uh, when ministering to people to talk to someone like it's a cold call. And if you don't know what that means, that you've never been in sales before, it's a very tough call to make. It's the, it's the thousand pound phone where you have to pick up the phone and call someone who is not expecting you to call and tell them that you've got something that they need. It's a thousand pound call, the, the cold call. Well, it's almost easier to minister to somebody who has never been to church, who has never had a relationship with Jesus, and have that cold call moment with them than those who have been inoculated with Christianity, that have grown up in this, that, or the other, offended here, there, and the other, and and have a mixture of doctrines from across the board, and, and to try to explain things to them or tell them about Jesus, it's almost, almost impossible. And so he is coming to this group with that, that understanding. Now, he is the author of Scripture. He is the author. We have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. He is the one that wrote the law. He's the one that was speaking to Adam and Eve and, and Moses and Abraham. And, he, you know, he is. He's the great I am. And so when he's speaking to these guys, um, he's coming across with that authority, and they don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't think he has any right. They have a far different view of him than actually who he is. Okay, okay. Verse 1. Then the scribes and the Pharisees 
who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, what they mean is they're not washing their hands and the way that we have held the tradition for so long, this is how you wash your hands. And it was quite an operation. There's quite a bunch of rigmarole that you have to go through in order to get to the, well, the eating, your bread and your fish or whatever it was. And there's, I mean, if you've ever watched a surgeon wash their hands or seen it on TV, you know, the scrubbing and then the, and the whole thing, let it drip off your elbows so you stay sterile. I mean, they had that and more so to washing the hands. Now, that's what they're confused with. Why aren't these guys washing their hands? I mean, they must have blew a gasket when they saw him feed the 5,000 with five loaves and two bread, you know, and, and, and five loaves and two fish. You know, it's like nobody was doing what they were supposed to. How come your guys do this? If you're a man of God, you'd be doing this right, is their, is their thought. Traditions. They're not talking about God's word. They're talking about traditions, and there's a big difference between those two. And Jesus is going to make a point to teach them that. This is a teachable moment for Jesus. He always saw these opportunities and used them to bring these guys around. So instead of answering their question as to why we transgress the tradition of the elders, he counters with an accusation. Verse 3, he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. I'll see your tradition and I'll raise you a commandment, basically is what he's getting at. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We've used that scripture many times uh, in different parts of scripture. We'll count a cross-reference to this one here, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. There's a lot here. There's a lot for us to get from this. Jesus is obviously the obvious. You guys think your traditions are more important than God's commandments, and I'm trying to tell you that God's commandments are far more important than your traditions. We're on opposite sides here, and he makes that point clear by telling him that. Um, God gave a commandment to honor your father and mother, and you say, and here's the explanation, you say that you can say, any profit I was going to make from that land, although I, I should tithe it or that I should take care of my family with that or take care of my parents with that, um, I've already committed that to God, and therefore it's already, it's already it's pledged, it's promised. Sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't help you out with that. Now, there's a lot that's not said here, and I'll do my best to explain what we think is happening here. Um, it's... it's it's, it's, it's the idea that um, it's almost like you're promising your inheritance or your wealth after you die uh, to go to the church, and therefore I can keep it and use it the whole time I'm alive. You know, it's like a, a, 
an annuity maybe or something like that, where you re reverse mortgage or whatever you want. I'm going to keep this. as. A, but when I die, I've already promised it to the church. Therefore, if my mom and dad need any help at all, I can't use any of my property because I've already promised it to the church when they die. And to do that would be stealing from God. And therefore, and that's how they got to keep all their money to themselves while they were alive and also look good because we've also promised it. And so the Pharisees are like, yeah, you know, we'll take that. We'll be glad to be at the end of your will or whatever. And so we think that that's what's happening here. What I learned from this, or I think what we can all gather from this is, I get that question sometimes, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? Does it mean at the age of 30 that I still listen and do whatever my mom and dad say? No, especially if it's counter scripture. That's not honoring your father and mother by just being obedient to them because, you're, they're, because they're, your mom and dad might be heathens. And they might tell you to go do this, that, or the other thing. That doesn't mean as a 30-year-old man or woman that you need to do what they tell you to do. He's like, no, I follow Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So no. What it means is you need to be respectful of them, of course. But it doesn't mean you throw out Christ or your relationship with him for their sake. Sorry if it offends you. Um, Jesus was very clear, let, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, I want you to come follow me. Don't say that you're going to stay and bury your dad. No, I want you to follow me. Let the dead bury the dead. So that's not what it means. Here's what it does mean here, though. It does show us that as kids, uh, adult children, that we do have a responsibility to take care of our parents and relieve them of their financial burdens when they're older. It really does. Now, Scripture is very clear uh, as far as as parents, we need to leave our kids an inheritance, do the best we can anyway, financially or spiritually, of course. That's a given, but financially also. But it does show us that as children, if we're able to relieve our parents of any burdens financially, we should, we should do that. Um, that's, that's, that's what this is saying. You're saying that they can't honor their father and mother with their possessions because you've already laid claim to them, and that is contrary to what God's Word says when it says honor your father and mother. And so if we can help, we should help them out any way we can. And I think that just kind of is natural, or it should be for us. Of course you're going to take care of your parents if you can help them out. Of course you're going to take care of them. I mean, that's what the whole thing about widows is all about. Take care of your mom, you know? Uh, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. That's her responsibility. But no, 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 no. That's your job as a kid. I mean, think of all the things she did or should have done and didn't, but it doesn't matter. You're a believer in Jesus Christ now. Take care of your mom and take care of your dad and relieve them of any burdens you can relieve them of. And these guys are saying, no, no, it's Corbin. Another passage tells us that it's Corbin, it's promised. And therefore, uh, you don't have to fulfill honor your father and mother because you've given it to the church, you're very holy, God bless you, whatever. No, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And Jesus calls them for what they are. He says, Isaiah prophesied about you guys. He said that you guys would draw near, but your hearts are far from me. And that can happen to any of us. That's something we're all in danger of. Um, to have that appearance of drawing near to God, but in our hearts we're far from God. And nobody will know it but you. That's just it. No one will know it from you, or except you. you. You're the only one that knows your heart and your relationship with God. But it comes out in, oftentimes, the way we act and what we do with our lives, what we say. Um, our actions speak louder than our words. You know, just attendance isn't enough uh, to attend worship. 
But did you sing? Did you worship God? You know, um, showing up isn't the same as praying. Uh, it's not the same. You need to have that relationship with God. And, he, and so he calls them on that. You guys draw near. They, I mean, they've got the robes. They've got the position in the synagogue or in the temple. Um, they're well-known. They're well-respected. Um, they make a very big public spectacle of their tithes and offerings with trumpets. And so, in fact, at one point he says, you guys tithe mint. You know, you, you even take your herbs and say, okay, 10% is for God. And they make sure everybody knows that they, wouldn't, they, don't even, they don't even rip God off 10% of their tea, you know, kind of thing. They make sure the guy gets 10% of their tea. Okay. But they're drawing near with the outward and not with their heart. And God is far more interested with the heart. And so Jesus is starting with that comment right there to change everything. Everything. Because everything at this time was all about, their relationship with God was all about external, all about what it looked like. The washing of the pot on the outside and not worrying about what's going on inside. Okay, Which has always been the problem with man. We, we have a, we're very good at being chameleons. We're very good at showing people, uh, whoever we're around, our, our best side, basically. And then when it comes down to it, though, it, it doesn't, it's not our hearts. And our heart is what God sees, and that's what he's watching. And that is, that's what Nicodemus couldn't understand in, in John chapter 3, is how, how do I get this born-again thing? He goes, you can't do it. It's something I do from the inside and I cleanse your heart, give you a new heart, give you a new mind, and that begins to translate to you bearing fruits worthy of repentance. Now, that scripture, I know it's deep for Wednesday night, but it's going to get a lot deeper here in a minute. That scripture tells us that you can't go the other to the other extreme and say, well, I may be rough on the outside, but inside God knows my heart. Mm, that doesn't work either. It doesn't. You may be rough, that's fine, but a changed heart bears fruit worthy of repentance. You begin to walk like a, like a brother or sister in the Lord. You begin to look like a son or daughter of God. You begin to change your behavior. If it's true in the heart, it ought to be shown. On the other hand, just showing it on the outside is not proof of a changed heart. It's, it's, it leaves us in a place, and it's supposed to by design, those two scriptures, what we're reading here, leaves us in a place of, I'm, I'm completely reliant upon God to change me then, aren't I? Yes, you are. It can only be done by a true relationship with Jesus. Is the only way you can be cleansed from the inside out to where it translates into obedience on the outside, where people see it, where God sees it. So he calls them on it. And that did not make them happy. It says in verse 10, When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. This is basically what I was telling those guys. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of a mouth. This defiles a man. You don't get defiled by having unwashed hands. And so he actually took it all the way to not just doing it a tradition the way they said. He took it to, I don't... If you don't even wash your hands, that's not what defiles you. What defiles you is what comes out of you, what comes out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what people say, what comes out of their heart, out of their heart, out of their mouth, is what defiles them. That's what, that's what distances them. That's sin. And he, he describes it. His disciples came to him and said to him, Do you not or do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? 
Isn't that funny? I, yeah, you got it. I, I smiled too. Everybody should smile. They're like, of course he knew he offended them. He did it on purpose. Which brings me a little closer to Jesus tonight. Um, you have Paul writing to the Corinthians and several of them, hey, don't stumble your brother. You know, be careful about what you do. We don't want to destroy what God has bought and purchased. You know, there's all these things that Paul warns us about. And then you've got Jesus stepping up to these guys, looking them right in the face and offending them on purpose. He's offending them in the right way, though. For the grace of God, I will offend the legalist all day long. All day long. I understand that the weaker brother, the weaker brother, Paul writes to and says, the weaker brother is worried about the meat and where it came from. The weaker brother is worried about what day it is. The weaker brother, eventually the weaker brother needs to be made strong. You can't leave the weaker brother to be the weaker brother. The weaker brother, fine, I don't want to ruin our fellowship for the sake of eating meat, or you know, if that causes you, then I'll be a vegetarian the rest of my life because I don't want to hurt your feelings. But eventually you need, to, you need to take a big old bite of ham. I'm sorry. Eventually you have to take that ham sandwich and eat it. I, there's, a, there's a guy that came out of a, a certain denomination and, and, and he wanted to become a Calvary Chapel pastor. And this certain denomination wouldn't allow meat and you definitely couldn't have pork in this denomination. You probably know what I'm talking about. Um, but before you can become a Calvary Chapel pastor, he says, yeah, I got to know that you're over that. I got to know that you're, and they were eating lunch together. He and Pastor Chuck were eating lunch. And so he looked down at his ham and cheese sandwich. He took a big bite. He goes, well, I'm Calvary now. You know, I'm set free now. Because he had to get past that. He'd never had meat before. He'd never had ham before. He'd never been allowed. According to his diet, he says, no, man, it's, it's grace. And, and you can't call what God has cleansed unclean. I mean, there were so many things that got taken care of in that one bite of sandwich. Eventually, if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to be a senior pastor of a Calvary Chapel, you best be over your ham thing because you will lead people into bondage then if you're not over that yourself, you know? So did Jesus mean to offend? Did you know you offended them? Absolutely did because I want them to stop being Pharisees. They've got to stop doing this to people. They've been doing this unchecked for years now, and I've come on the scene as God come in the flesh, whether they recognize it or not, to check them. It's not okay what you're teaching people. It's not okay to take my word, my law, my commandments, and trump these commandments of God with your dumb traditions that you've made up. Not okay. Did you know you offended him? Of course he did. Here's what he follows up with. Verse 13. And he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Wow. Now you've offended everybody. I mean, let's just make it a clean sweep. You know? We're very careful on how we talk to people. And I think that comes from a genuine heart of, I just want them to come to know the Lord. I don't want to hurt their feelings. I want them to gently be brought in through grace. And God, through his word, can do whatever he wants to do. But Jesus is at a place now where he's calling the religious rulers of the day blind leaders of the blind. And the only people that find, follow the blind leaders are the blind people, and they're all going to fall into a ditch anyway. What difference? I mean, it's very bold what he's saying here. You can see why they're going to get very upset with him. You know, 
You can see why they're going to take him to the cross. You're going to see why that's all they think about is putting him to death because he is so offensive to them. Now, this is a commentary on the tares, actually. We, we studied that last week. The tares and the wheat, and how you got to let the tares grow with the wheat because if you pull the tares out, the weeds, the fake things that aren't producing any fruit, if you pull those out, you're going to ruin the wheat in the process. So leave them alone. It's at the end we're going to figure out which was tares and which was wheat. God knows the difference. And that's what he's saying here. You let the blind lead the blind. You can't worry about that. You can't worry. If they want to be blind, that's, that's it. I think that's why Jesus asked so many of the people that he healed, do you want to be well? And for the world, when someone comes to me and they want to challenge me on Jesus or talk to me about Christianity, or I might even start the conversation and they try to I'm saying, okay, before we go any further, do you even want to know if there's a God? Because that's where we're starting here, but I don't want to waste my time. If you don't even want to know that there's a God, I, you go your way, I'll go my way. Because you're blind and I have sight spiritually, and I'd love to give you sight. I'd love to lead you to the one who can take away those blinders and take them off of you so that you can see the truth. But if you don't want to know it, then you're the blind, and, and that's okay. Have it your way. So Peter follows up in verse 15, and answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. Well, Peter, you should have known. And he's going to, he expects them to understand this. I just called these guys blind leaders. Now they're having a hard time with the fact that these people, these Pharisees that they've respected for so long, are now by their Messiah, their rabbi, they're being called blind leaders of the blind, okay, is it really, I mean, are we missing something here? Or are you really saying that they're going to fall into the ditch? I mean, the ditch. Hell. That's exactly what he means. But it's hard for them to receive that. So Jesus said, are you still, are you also still without understanding? You should understand this, Peter. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? So he's getting very graphic now. Don't you understand that you eat, goes through the digestive tract, and well, you know what happens next, right, Peter? We dig a ditch, we dig a hole, and we cover when we're done, right? You get that. Now, you don't talk about those things, but Jesus was very blunt. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed, and here's what, here's what he's talking about, evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. I mean, he doesn't get any more clear than that. He not only says, he doesn't say to eat with unwashed hands in the tradition of the elders. He takes that out completely and just says, if you, don't eat, with, if you eat with unwashed hands, it's okay. It doesn't defile you. It doesn't make you unacceptable to God. He's clarifying the law. He's making it clear. This is what I mean. I want you to wash your hands because you're filthy. Because it's gross. Because you're going to get sick. But if you were to eat, you might throw up for a couple weeks and you might pass that on to other people. You're going to get some bacteria from the elimination we spoke of earlier because you didn't wipe carefully or didn't do what you were supposed to do when you covered but it doesn't defile you or separate you from God. And this is the beginning of him, finally, with Peter saying, 
It's ironic, isn't it, that Peter's the one that gets the vision about all things being clean, the white sheet coming down with all sorts of unwashed, unclean things that you're not supposed to eat according to the law. And he says, do not call what God has cleansed unclean. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's it's an important thing. We can get um, sidelined. I've seen people get sidelined. I've seen people come to know the Lord. They're all excited. They've received grace and mercy. They're so excited. They're free. They're, they've been set free from the, I just love Jesus. I just want to read his word. I want to worship him. And they're just so happy and free and have this beautiful relationship with God. And then they get hooked up with some guy that talks like this. And he tells them about the King James Version or something else. Or were you baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit or just Jesus' name only? And as soon as they get hooked up with someone like that, they turn into the, oh, I can't even talk to them. It's so unreal. It's so unnatural. It's like, do you talk like that to your wife? Is that how you talk to people? Or when you go to work, is that what you sound like on the phone with people? Why? Where does that come from? Because it's fake, because it's phony, because it's exterior. It has nothing to do with the relationship of the heart with God. Do you know that you just offended a lot of people that talk like that? I absolutely know that I offended them on purpose. Stop talking like that. I mean, Jesus is not happy with what's happened. And he's there. He's fixing. He's correcting. He's exhorting. He's encouraging. He's spanking, basically. No, this is not okay, Peter. These poor guys, these poor fishermen have grown up their whole lives knowing that they were nothing like the Pharisees and wishing that they were. And Jesus is saying, please don't become like the Pharisees. And they've never heard that before. They thought that was the goal. They thought that was, this is, I thought this is what God wanted us to be like. For, for all they knew, this is what God expected from everybody. They all talk like that. No, 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 no. So, here we go. Verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Now, she is not Jewish. Okay, she's a Canaanite, basically, from Tyre. There's a picture, like a uh, little Syrian and the whole thing going on here, but not Jewish. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, this is different. So you're not going to do it because she's not Jewish? And she follows up with, she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, many have tried to explain this away and to say, well, what he meant was puppies. Well, that makes it cuter. But we're talking different species. You know? Oh, yeah, well, puppies. So he thinks she's a cute little puppy. Well, no, she can say, you're a dog compared to my the people I'm here to say. So... Now, that's us. There ain't a Jewish person in here, I don't think. If you're Jewish, way to go. They're not talking about you. 
But this is us. Every one of us, Jesus just called a little dog. Are we offended? Most of us instinctively say, no, I don't care. I kind of am a little dog. You know, I mean, we all get it. We all understand what he's getting at. Well, we're going to go deep here tonight. It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered and said to her, now here's what we've been waiting for. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. We were waiting for that exhortation, weren't we? We're like, okay, phew. Finally, Jesus showed up and did what we thought he was going to do. Okay, ready? I'll do my best. Jesus is not being racist here. Some of you know the article that I'm about to read from. Pastor Brandon Robertson. And yes, I'm here to offend him. Made in a recent TikTok video, teaching on this passage right here. Did you know, and this is his words, did you know that there's a part of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uses a racial slur? It's in Mark chapter 7. There's an account of a Syrophoenician woman, a woman who is Syrian and Greek, both of which were strong, had, were strong biases against within the Jewish community. And she comes to ask Jesus to heal her daughter who was possessed by a demon. And what is Jesus' response? He says, it's not good for me to give the children's food, meaning the children of Israel's food, to dogs. He calls her a dog. What's amazing about this account is that the woman doesn't back down. She speaks truth to power. She confronts Jesus and says, well, you can think that about me, but even dogs deserve crumbs from the table. And her boldness and bravery to speak truth to power actually changes Jesus' mind. Jesus repents of his racism and is extended. I know, sorry. I almost got through that with a straight face. And extends healing to this woman's daughter. I love this story because it's a reminder that Jesus is human. He had prejudices and bias, and when confronted with it, he was willing to do his work, and this woman was willing to stand up and speak truth. Now, okay. I used to just laugh these things off and say, okay, yeah. You know, another, but this is becoming more and more common now, this pastor is a homosexual. Um, yeah. And so you could throw away everything he said so far, not because necessarily he's homosexual, but because he's already taken God's word and removed it from his vocabulary so that he can embrace who he is. So you can already say, well, he's already gone down that road of blacking out scripture. I can discount what he says based off that alone. I don't want us to do that tonight. Um, so we could just go, up pshaw, you know. This guy, he's tick or TikTok. Oh, he's on TikTok. You know, TikTok. That's from the devil. No, not everything on TikTok's from the devil. I mean, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. Those are all just tools. They can be used for good or dark. It doesn't good or evil. Doesn't make any difference. So TikTok isn't the problem either. Although we could throw him out. He's on TikTok. You know, you want to do it based off of facts. God's word is very, very good at protecting itself, of qualifying itself of explaining itself. You can't outwit God's word. He has not come up with anything new. In fact, what he's done here is exposed his ignorance of scripture. And I want us to come from that standpoint. Because when this comes up, 
for me to look at this pastor and say, but you're a homosexual, so I'm not listening to anything you have to say. Well, that doesn't deal with what he's taught. Okay? For me to say you're on TikTok doesn't deal with what he's taught. I want to deal with what he's taught here. Okay, what about it? Suppose he's straight. Suppose he's white. Suppose he's a Southern Baptist. Suppose he was uh, a Calvary Chapel pastor. Suppose he was took away everything off the table that we would normally throw away. Let's talk about what he taught here from this scripture because it's a difficult passage. All of us were relieved to hear him in verse 28 say, "A woman, great is your faith, let it be to you as you desire. Oh, I mean, we all want that. We didn't want him to leave it with, you're a dog and we're better than you, right? Okay. So is Jesus a racist? Well, If he learned something here, that means he had forgotten what he had said earlier, because this is not the first time he's come in contact with someone who wasn't Jewish. This isn't the first time that he's commended someone who wasn't Jewish for their faith. In fact, this isn't the first time where he actually looked at the Jewish people and says, where's your faith compared to this person over here? He's never had a problem with whether they were Roman, the centurion, uh, Matthew 8, verse 5, which is... Uh, seven chapters before this. I've never seen such great faith in all Israel from a Roman centurion. He was about the worst of the worst compared to the Pharisees. But he didn't condemn him because he's Roman. He didn't condemn him because he was of a different uh, nationality or anything. It was, it was very obvious that he was impressed. Okay, So he's not learning anything new here. So what is he doing here? He's teaching persistent faith. He's teaching us to cry out more. He's teaching us to say, don't come deserving, come undeserving and see how I respond. I mean, that's the point of this. In Matthew chapter 13, um, several, two chapters earlier, he taught on, and, and let me get to there, a part where he said, uh, remember when he was in Nazareth and he wasn't received, I told you we we're going to go deep. Okay, so we got to put this together. He taught in Matthew, and that's why I love the Gospels. We've got four Gospels that give you four different points of view, but all speak. And if you were to line them all up and to see them verse for verse, blend them all four together, you'd see this beautiful mosaic, okay? This beautiful chronological uh, full picture of Christ. You've got to read all four to get it. This pastor from TikTok, whatever, it doesn't make any difference, doesn't know other scriptures. He, He is... He's, he's what we call springboarding. He takes this passage and jumps on it and teaches what's, what's good for the day, what's, what's uh, palatable for the moment, what's going to get across his desire. And so he takes scripture and he uses it for his gain. But he, in the process of doing that, he shows his ignorance of other passages that disprove his assumption. Okay. Earlier on in Matthew 13... He says a prophet is without honor among his own, among his own people, right? Okay, okay. so we keep that in mind. That's our reference point. When we get to Luke chapter 4, that's just happened. He's just gone through that moment where it's, it's, it's uh, a prophet was out, is without honor. So let me read to you Luke chapter 4, verse 24, which is in between that... Matthew 13, and this moment right here, he has this, Luke, Luke documents this encounter right here, and it disproves this racist idea of Jesus, that this pastor is ignorant of, obviously, Luke chapter 4, verse 24. Let's read it. 
Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you truly. Okay, so we, we now have a reference point that this happened before. I, I have to make that clear. Verse 25, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. There were many lepers in Israel, Jewish lepers, in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. You understand where I'm going with this? Jesus, before this moment right here with this woman, has already talked to other people. Listen, Israel, you've all had problems, but we've had these problems since the beginning of time. Way back when Elijah was around, way back when Elisha was around, all we could find were people of faith of other nationalities. You Israel people don't get it. You Jewish people are not understanding who it is. And when God is speaking, you don't understand that. He's never been racist. He's always been worldwide. He's always loved anybody that needs help who trusts in him. He's always desired Egypt to know who he was and the Ethiopians to know who he was. He's always been like that. To say that Jesus was a sinner, to say that this passage teaches that Jesus was a sinner that needed to repent of his racism is just ignorant. Not just foolish and blasphemous and makes me mad as a Christian. It's provably wrong. I've run into these pastors. It started off with Rob Bell. I remember when I first got to be a pastor and I came across Rob Bell and the Velvet Jesus or whatever that dumb book that he wrote was. Oh, everybody loved that book. All the college students were, oh, he's just so deep. And so he was an idiot. And he showed himself foolish from the very beginning. That's offensive. You shouldn't call people idiots. He was an idiot. He taught from the very beginning. Rob Bell who was off in so many different ways, started off with a calling from God. He heard an audible voice from the Lord telling him, if you'll just teach my word. And I'm like, that's the only genuine part of the book. Because right after that, he started not teaching God's word. God told Rob from the very beginning, if you just teach my word, I'm going to do a wonderful work. And then he stopped teaching God's word and got off on this weird, bizarre which is what this pastor's doing. He's off on some weird, bizarre thing because he's, he doesn't believe God's word is true. He, I don't understand this passage. How can this be? How could he be so mean to this woman to call her little dog? Do you not understand his character, how he has in the past said, Elijah went to the widow that wasn't Jewish. Elisha went to the, you know, healed, the, healed the leper and so on. And, and, and I've talked about the centurion who's Roman and I've... And I can't can't get any respect from the people I came to minister to. In other words, my primary mission was to minister to these beautiful children of God, these Jewish people, and none of them want me. I know that's deep. I know it's Wednesday night. I know there's a lot of things. And maybe it wasn't as deep as I made it out to be. But we have to be, especially in these days, steadfast and immovable in God's word. He protects ourselves from those ridiculous assumptions that Jesus was somehow racist and had to learn because I, that doesn't make sense because I know that he healed Naaman. And Naaman was a Syrian, and I know that he healed, and I know just, I mean, just two chapters ago, he told me, that tells me that guy didn't read. 
People will make great assumptions about the Christian faith. They'll make great assumptions about Jesus. They'll do all sorts of things. And if we don't know his word, and if you don't know his word, it doesn't matter how well you know it, but if you've read it, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance just like that. Well, this guy says he's a racist, but I recall reading something somewhere, and that's good enough. Right there. Find it. Find it. Take the time. Dig. Where did I read that? Where did I find This ridiculous pastor has put more things together in my head than maybe five to ten years worth of Bible study because I was so offended by, first of all, many of the things I thought, don't be, that's not, you can't throw out what he said just because he's that or because he came from that platform or because he said these things. I need to know why that's wrong from Scripture. And I was able to do it. Put it all together and say, yeah, but Scripture teaches otherwise. So you're wrong. And we need to be able to do that. And the more I read through this and the more you read through your Bible, you don't have to memorize it. The Holy Spirit will say, you, you read that. You read that. How long ago? Three months ago. Where was I three months ago? Uh, I think I was somewhere between. And he gives you like, there's like three books of the Bible. Oh, God, help. You'll find it. The Holy Spirit will just, boom, there it is. Oh, that's right. Oh, oh, and that works here. Oh, and that goes with that. And you'll start cross-referencing yourself. You, you, could, you don't need the center column reference anymore. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just starts bringing all this stuff together. Oh, 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 yeah, okay. God's word protects itself. All right, I got two minutes to finish the chapter. Ready? But that needed to be taught. I knew that was important. We had to get to that. And so understand that Jesus is not just calling her a dog. He loves her. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Oh, I mean, you are commended for trusting and believing in me. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then a great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. They laid them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel, which gave proof to everything he just said being true. Verse 32, now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Again, just like with the 5,000, now with the 4,000, he's moved with compassion. Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? I know. (laughs) I'd make fun of them if I wasn't just like them sometimes, though. Honestly. Oh, God, how in the world are you going to pull this off? I'll do it this way. Oh, that was really smart. I didn't even see that that was an option. Really good. And the next day, oh, God, how are you going to pull this off? The same way I did yesterday, you know, kind of thing. So he said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few little fish. So they, they even diminished it. We've got more than we had the last time. We've had 5,000, and there's less people. But what are you going to do with this? We only have seven loaves. We had five loaves and two fish. Now they've got seven loaves and a few little fish. It's funny how they word it. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, gave thanks, broke, broke them, and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Now, those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. So 
a lot, 12,000 people probably. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. And that's where we end tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. And thank you for, um, thank you, thank you that you've, you've written in such a, it's so crafted. It's so perfect. It is truly alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We know the verse. Uh, it's, it's just, you protect it. It interprets itself. It's, um, you, we can't out, outthink you. Um, and I'm so grateful for that, that your word is so deep. Um, and that you're such a faithful instructor and a good teacher. And you're patient. Um, and so we don't have to throw things out just because we, we know we should or we don't believe what other people are saying. We can actually prove it. Through scripture, we can actually show in your word um, these things. And so, Lord, we thank you for that tonight. We pray that you keep these things in our hearts. As much as is going to stay in our brains, we pray that you keep them there. And whatever we forget, Lord, we know it's, it's in there someplace. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you bring it out right when we need it. Um, that you bring it to our remembrance. That you lead and guide us into all truth. We completely rely on, on your teaching and, uh, and your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you for this. Um, Bless us as we go home now. Have everybody get a safe ride home. And, uh, and um, that we just marinate in your word and your spirit, that we just absorb everything you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.